Well, praise God. What an opportunity once again that we are able to gather to study God's Word. And so let me invite you once again to open your Bible to the book of Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 29. What I want us to see in this message is the priority of His ministry, the priority of His mission. If you, if you recall in our previous, previous message, in, our, in the previous section from 21 and 28, we see how Christ uh, healed a man with an unclean spirit. But before that, we saw how Christ went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And the result of that teaching, as he was teaching them, there in the synagogue, the people were astonished. They were amazed of his teaching with authority. And, and the second thing that we see there, we see how a, uh, an unclean spirit just getting up there and just making a loud noise and interrupting the, uh, the worship service. Now we get to see a glimpse of, of Jesus Christ having this uh, conversation, not, not just a conversation with the unclean spirit. And in verse 23 says, And immediately there was in, the, in, the, in that synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This, this unclean spirit, this unclean spirit, recognize Jesus Christ, that He is the Holy One of God. And Jesus Christ rebuked him. He says, be, be, be silent and come out of him. In verse 27, and it says this, look, and they were all amazed, so that they, they question among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? Again, in the previous section, we get to see the authority of Christ over religion, over demons. And now as we turn our attention, here during this time in the Sabbath, in verse 29, yeah, before we go to 29, look at what happens in verse 28. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. See, people were excited. People were amazed of his teaching. And, and because of that, his fame spread everywhere. People wanted to talk about what just happened, what they witnessed in that synagogue. And then in, in, in verse 29, we get to see, now we get to see Christ in action, not just inside the synagogue. We, now He leaves that synagogue and, and we see this, this happening. And the first thing I want us to see here is that in verse 29 and 30 through 31, Listen, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. 
I want you to take note, number one, that Jesus cares for individual people. So after uh, that encounter in the previous section with the demon-possessed man, Jesus left the synagogue with his four uh, closest and intimate disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. So here, Peter's home will be something of a base of operation for the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, when he's around uh, Capernaum, and you would see that in, in, in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 20, Mark chapter 9, verse 33. So the home of Peter will become his headquarters. Now we get to see here in verse 30, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. So now Peter's mother-in-law Peter's mother is sick with, with a fever. The Greek word for fever in the noun form is also the word for fire. Thus, Peter's mother-in-law was burning with a serious fever. I'm sure you could relate to that, right? You, you, you probably have experienced a high fever in your life, or even your child had experienced a high fever. In the book of Luke, Dr. Luke wrote in his gospel, in Luke chapter 4, verse 38, that Peter's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. Note, I want us to see here, note the simple and immediate sequence of events, right? Jesus Christ enters the house. They tell him that she is sick. He, he, he goes to her, he, he takes her by the hand, and, and he lifts her up. Right? We, we get to see all these things taking place, and the fever leaves her. And guess what happened after she got better? You, you get to see this, that what? She began to serve them. So note the simple and immediate sequence of events. It, it, it's amazing. One thing that I want you to note in this passage, right? There are no spells. There are no incantations or rituals. Rather, with, with compassion and a personal touch, Jesus restores Peter's ailing mother, listen, in full health. You see, when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, she was restored to perfect health immediately, right? Again, she had this high fever, but the moment Christ touched her, the moment uh, lifted her up, right? She got better. Instant, complete, complete healing. This is what we see. In the other gospel, in Matthew and Luke, even Matthew notes this, that the woman began to serve the prepared meal as though nothing had slowed her down. As if she wasn't even sick. She just, right? She was ill for a moment and then she got better and she started serving. 
Peter's mother-in-law gives a beautiful example to, for us to follow. Her response to Jesus' touch was to wait on Jesus and his disciples. And, he, he, and she does it immediately. She serves them. The question is, has God ever helped you through a dangerous or difficult situation? If so, you should ask yourself, how can I express my gratitude to Him? Right? A great example of uh, Peter's mother-in-law and how she was healed by Christ and how she responded with, with gratitude by serving one thing I want us to note is we're taking a pause here and, and realizing that genuine miracles are instantaneous, undeniable, and, and, and complete. That is, dramatic displays of God's uh, power over illness. It, it does not require a lengthy waiting period. I mean, you, there are so-called faith healers today. They, they like to conceal their failures by claiming that healing will occur gradually or sometime later. One thing I want to encourage you and warn you, if you are involved in watching faith healers on TV today, who's claiming that in the name of Jesus... And, and expect them to be healed. Be careful, majority of them, all of them that I've seen on TV, are fake. They don't have the power of God for them to heal other people from their sickness. Be careful. Or who are you, who who you're following, especially those who are faith healers, and they're popular today, not just here in our in our country, but they're popular in in different parts of the world. You see, in the scripture, authentic healing miracles were intended to authenticate God's representative for the benefit of others, to, to let them know that the prophet's message did indeed come from God. You see, those so-called faith healers, before they can heal you, they want your money first. They want your money, believe it or not. And then they say, you know what, uh, I'll buy this from us and order this and, and we'll send it to you and you do all this and you'll get healed. Right? Be careful. They're selling you false hope. You, you see here in the scripture, right in John chapter 9, people born blind receive perfect sight. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10, those disabled from birth leap on perfectly functioning legs. In Mark chapter 7, verse 32 to 35, deaf people hear words and music and speak with perfect clarity. You see, Jesus and the apostles never left sick people with lingering symptoms or blind people needing glasses or disabled people still walking with, with a limb. Uh, the, the fact that Jesus cares about individual people is, is one of those realities. 
we get to see a glimpse of Christ caring for individuals. In this particular section, we see how he's caring and how he cared and healed Peter's mother-in-law. Yes, he may be in the synagogues, Jesus taught and preached to the masses, but the individual was still watched by Jesus. That's something that's something is amazing to see that Christ still cares for those who are individuals. Even though he was busy teaching in the, in the crowds, he cares for you. Not only was Jesus interest, interested in public ministry, but he ministered behind closed doors to people as well. In a world that often treats individuals as numbers and where individuals grow increasingly disconnected from each other. This is an essential truth to, for us to know. Jesus takes care of the person and that means he knows your thoughts. He, he, he knows your wildest of your dreams, the wildest. The, the crazy dreams that you may have or hope that you have. He knows about you. He knows the deepest hurts that you're going through even now. He knows your pain. Even the hairs on your head are all counted together in Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 30. So again, we're reminded in Psalm 139 that God created us he created us intricately, perfectly, and He's mindful of us, and He knows us. He knows us personally. He knows what you're going through. He knows your pain, and just like how He healed Peter's mother-in-law, He knows you. He cares for you. So one thing I want to encourage you is this. Do not ever think that you have been forgotten by God. He loves you. He knows exactly what's happening in your life at this very moment. Jesus knows you and you are loved by Him. So Jesus looks after individual persons. What, what, a, what a great hope for us. God knows us. And so he invites us to come to him. And we read that in Matthew 11. It says, come to me who are weary and tired. I'm, I don't know what you're going through right now in your life. Maybe this is a great opportunity for you to turn to him. To surrender your life to him. He knows your pain and he knows your heartaches. He knows what's going on in your life. And the second thing I want us to see in verse 32 through 34, that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And here in, in this part, I, what I want us to see is that Jesus did not only minister to the individual, he, he did not only care for the individual, He also cared and ministered to groups, sometimes even large crowds. I mean, you see in verse 28, the fame of Jesus is spreading like a, a wildfire 
So no doubt people are aware that he is now in, in Peter's house and, and that he has healed his mother-in-law. I mean, again, it, it spread and they, they got to witness what happened. Now, the, now that the Sabbath has officially ended, which is sundown, probably around 6, people begin to show up from everywhere. After dark on this day, however, they came in multitudes, hoping to see uh, the sick healed of their illnesses and the demonized freed from their evil's domination. See, Mark expertly crafts this portion of the story to show the rapid spread of Jesus' fame in, in Galilee. And there are a couple important truths that you and I can learn from this passage. One is that Jesus can meet all types of need. Again, let me say that one is that Jesus can meet all types of need. The people who came to Jesus for healing had a, a mixture of diseases, different kind of illnesses that, that went from different places in this particular home. So Mark's exaggeration in verse 33, the whole city was gathered together at the door. So vividly describes the chaos that overtook the home of Peter and, and Andrew. So Jesus could have turned the people away and said, He helped as many as time would allow. The Greek word for gathered in verse 33 literally means to go with others and settle down together in a group. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, and we're encouraged to gather in a local church for the very purpose that we are not to neglect gathering together so to avoid sin in our lives. You know, when, when we are not gathering together, right, it, it's hard for us to, to grow in our walk with God because we need each other. So that's why I want to keep encouraging in the midst of this pandemic that we have, you have the opportunity, you, we have the technology by the grace of God to be connected and stop making excuses that, oh, that's not for me. You, you see, you're sinning in that way, Right? Because you, you, you think you're, you're good enough to be walking with God alone. You see, you and I are not called to, to be walking in our relationship with God by ourselves. We need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We need each other to grow in our relationship with Him. So I want to encourage you. I want to plead with you, right? We have this uh, uh, ministries available for you to grow in your walk. What's holding you back of not connecting with your brothers and sisters in Christ in a weekly basis? What excuses do you have? And that's something perhaps that you need to pray about. Right? It is important as a, as, a, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, that you get connected with your brothers and sisters. And, and, and you look at this, and these people are, are, are everywhere, coming from everywhere to, to see what's happening. 
The gathering in, in, in Peter's home, or Peter and Andrew's home, to see what's happening. What's, what, all, what is all this noise about? Right? They're there to see the miracles that's taking place. They want to see how people are getting healed and how the demons are being freed. I mean, you see what's happening here. I mean, the people had come on a mission and, and, and were there to stay until their mission was accomplished. Just imagine that their family members or their neighbors are, are bringing their, their sick friends or their demonized brothers or sisters coming to Jesus Christ. They had a mission. You have a mission too, to grow in your walk with God. Together. So again, they have come. So during this time when, when Jesus healed the people, there, there were three kinds of people present. And I want us to note this. Number one, those who needed help. Those who brought their friends, their neighbors, and loved ones. And, and those who merely watch. Right? So you, you have that. Naturally, people would be curious, but many who, who were attracted by rumors and miracles stopped short of embracing Jesus' spiritual mission and also ignored Jesus' claim on their lives. Imagine that. Right? You have these people who are sick and you have these people who, brought, who brought them in and of course you have these people just standing on the side, right? being an spectator. They were just watching I mean don't get caught merely watching the action consider what Jesus wants you wants you to do the miracles of Jesus authenticated his message with with every healing more people heard the gospel I want us to mark I want us to note this uh, as before Jesus silence he silenced the demons. Uh, this time before they could speak, li listen in, in verse 34. They knew him. But the Son of God did not need Satan minions to be his evangelist. Right? So Jesus Christ stopped them right then and then. He says, be quiet. Right? He does not need them. Right? To, to represent Jesus Christ, to, to be his evangelist. So they knew him. Men may be confused as to the identity of Jesus, but it is never so with the demons. Listen to, listen to this. They know him and they fear him. What a contrast with foolish, fallen, and unbelieving humans. Right? And what they do, they hear about Christ and they just ignore. And this is what we see in our society today. They don't want anything to do with the Word of God, with the Bible. Not in the schools. It has been removed for many, many years, many generations. Right? They don't want anything about Jesus Christ. They hate Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a disciple of Christ, they will hate you as well. So don't be a fool. Don't ignore 
what Christ wants you to do. Just think about this. They, they know Him. And they fear Him. What about you as a follower? If you have confessed Christ is your Savior and Lord, can you really say that you know Him? Because you know Him, you want to obey Him, you want to be faithful to Him. But yet you know Him and yet you ignore you ignore His calling in your life. You ignore to be obedient. You rather live in a sinful lifestyle. I want us to consider the following application in this passage. That God cares about our problems. He cares about your challenges in this fallen sin uh, in infested world. God knows we hurt. He knows that we are suffering, that, that sin is a constant reminder of our finite or, or, or mortal humanity. See, God wants us to know He has done something to remedy our near hopeless condition by sending Jesus Christ. Like the deceased and the demonized, we should run to Him and to Him alone. Right? If you have a need, run to Him. I mean, like, like Peter's mother-in-law, having been touched and healed by his compassionate hand, we, we should be quick to serve him and, and serve others. Why? Because of what he's able to do. She got up and, and served with a, gra- a grateful heart. Because she experienced Jesus Christ and she experienced such a marvelous salvation in Christ. I want us to to stop and think. What is your need right now? What is your need right now? Do, Do you need to be forgiven? Because the scripture reminds us in first in first John chapter one verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. There is forgiveness in Christ. All you have to do is run to him. You, you've been wondering, oh God will not forgive me because this, this, and this. No, if you simply run to Christ, he will forgive you of your sins. Come, come to Christ. And He will forgive you. Come to Him. Is your mind anxious? Bring your request to God through Christ and He will give you peace. Again, if you're confused or if you're anxious about something, Philippians 4, 6, it's such a powerful promise that God has given us that if you bring your requests, your petitions to Him, He will give you that peace. No matter how anxious you are, how distressed you are in your life at this time, cry out to Him. Run to Him. In Matthew chapter 11, reminds us, towards the end of that chapter, tells us to, Jesus Christ said, Come to me, He said. Come to Him. So what are you waiting for? Why are you still distressed. Why are you still anxious? You need, you need to run to Him. Are you having financial difficulties? Are you worried about providing food and clothing and shelter for your family? I want to give you this promise in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. 
Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek God first, and all these things will be added unto you. Right? And when you look at that previous section, because Matthew 5, 6, 33 says, But, and then of course now you got to read the previous section. Right? So don't, do not worry about clothing. Do not worry about food. Do not worry about shelter. God will take care of that if you seek Him first. Seek Him first in His kingdom. Amen? What a great joy. That God invites us to, to go to Him and, and seek Him. And, and that word seek is, is something that you have to continually seeking. Don't just seek Him at that one moment of your life. Continually seeking Him. And He will provide for you. And He will provide for you. Are you having relationship troubles? You, you, you need wisdom. James chapter 1 reminds us to, to go to God and, and seek God for wisdom. Right? And, and there's joy in that. That whatever relationship troubles that you may have with your spouse, with your children, whatever it may be, you're having difficulty of raising your teenager or your children, how, how old they may be. Run to Him. Cry out to Him. Surrender your pain and your, the things that you're having problem with or the difficulty of not understanding how to raise his or her before you. Oh, may you be comforted by the grace of God to run to Him, to turn to Him, that ask God that what He can do is to bring peace in, in, in your broken relationships. He will give you joy. He will reconcile that. But as you humble yourself before Him, He will give you that peace. He will give you that reconciliation. He will give you that part in your life. Whatever your need is today, Jesus Christ can meet it. He can meet all those needs. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. It says, And my God will meet all your needs, not your wants. Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 is such a beautiful chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in Philippians. Well, all of them are. But the fact is this, in chapter 4, Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In the midst of uh, uh, where those people are in the church of Philippi, that they were in need. And yet Paul tells them and he encourages and he comes along and tells them that God will provide for your needs. Not for your wants, but for your needs. He will take care of you according to His glorious Riches in Christ Jesus. So trust Him. So I want to encourage you. And remember this, that Jesus can meet all of your need. Whatever needs you may have. But one thing I want to encourage you is this. I plead with you that surrender your life to Him. Surrender your life to Him. Follow Him. Walk with Him. Walk closely with Him, no matter how difficult, how challenging life can be, continue to walk 
in Christ. And the third thing I want us to see as we close in verse 35 through 39 in our last point. In verse 35 through 39, And in rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next, to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is, we get to see now, the purpose and the priority of Jesus Christ, right? The very first thing that he does is to what? Is to preach, to proclaim the goodness of Christ. Not social works. Right? Today, we, we, we got to go in, into the people and, and just provide for their wants or for their needs. And then we preach the gospel. No, it, it should be preach the gospel, right? And, and, and then provide and give whatever that's needed. But it, 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 it's, you can't do this. It has to be, number one, the main priority is for us as we go out and proclaim the good news, as we go out and, and do ministry, that our main responsibility is to what? Is to preach the good news. And we see this a great example of how to do ministry through our Savior Jesus Christ. In verse 35, in its full humanity, Jesus was exhausted from the day before with all those things that's happening. It's here that we actually uh, get a glimpse into the humanity of Jesus. Deity never gets tired, but humanity can become so exhausted. Deity never sleeps, but humanity must, must rest. Mark notes that Jesus rising very early, probably from bed, undoubtedly still weary, he nevertheless, nevertheless exercised the wisdom and discipline to, to leave, out the, to leave uh, the house, to, to find a, an isolated place to do what? To pray. So Mark's description suggests a time between 4 and 6 o'clock, in the morning. So he, he, left, he left Peter's home alone, going to a desolate place, a place of solitude and uh, privacy. This is not just going out and, and finding a, a quiet place and, and catching on some me time, right? And sometimes we feel like, well, you know what, I got to leave the house so I can, I, I can just relax and then just have some time for myself. Right? Perhaps I'll go shopping and because that's my me time. Perhaps I'll go get me some, I'll fix myself up because that's my me time. Right? That's not the me time here. I mean, there's a place for that. But the most important thing, a priority is this. This is, we, we get to see Christ, we get to see Jesus communing with the Father. Because he knows that this is what is fueling his public ministry. I mean, look at this. A, a place of 
a place for restoration and fellowship with, with, the, with his father is what he needs and, and desires. So he gets up. He got up early morning to commune with the father. Our Lord finds strength in the private solitude of prayer and intimate fellowship with his father. I want to encourage you, I want to encourage my own heart that we must follow Christ's example by what? Carving out time for fellowship, for, for worship and in, in, in prayer. I mean, do you have that kind of discipline in your life? Do you, do you see a need in your life, in your spiritual life to get up early morning to commune with God, to, to, be, to be in His Word? To, to pray for the needs of others. I, I mean, what are you doing in your own private life? Do you see a need? Do you, do you need to uh, see the time where you need to carve out a special time, perhaps early in the morning, to commune with Him? Because it was important for Jesus Christ to get up in the morning. To commune because there's a lot of responsibilities. There's a lot of needs. I mean, what a valuable lesson and insight to many of us. That we, this is so important that we should not neglect, whether it be your pastor or an elder, or, or that you serve in the local church. You as a follower of Christ, you as a disciple of Christ, you, you need to see that need in your life. And we see that in, in, in Psalm chapter 1. We, we see that in, in, the, in the book of Psalms. Their, their heart and their attitude. We see that in the life of those Puritans in the early church. Right? Not just the early church. Even right in the, during the Puritan period. And how they make it a priority to, to pray and to, have journal, to journal their thoughts. I'm reminded of Richard Baxter. I'm reminded of Charles Spurgeon and others. Jonathan Edwards, David Brennard, and all these people that you may not know. But they made this time, they made this a priority in their lives. I mean, our, our, our ability to serve will be hindered if we neglect times of spiritual renewal. There's, there's something very important about starting your day with prayer. I mean, about giving God first place in your life when it comes to your time and your schedule. So what's hindering you from making that as your priority? By giving your time, you're giving God your first place in your life. You see, your life begins to change in, in, very, in significant ways when you give God the first part of your day. Oh, I love getting up early in the morning. I love looking, I, I look forward to setting my alarm at night and just waking up in the morning to commune with the Lord, to read my Bible. There are, yeah, there are days that are a struggle, especially when it's cold, right? I, I dislike cold weather, right? I struggle with getting up, Right? But you know what? I make it a point in my own personal walk to carve out that time to be with the Lord. Right? To be consistent at it. 
So I pray for strength. I, I pray for that ability to just get up, even though at times I don't like it. But you know, there, there's the joy in that. But don't make it as part of your to-do list. But this is something that you want to do, that you desire to do. That it's a must on your checklist. Not on your checklist, but in your own heart. Right? I mean, finding time to pray is not easy. But prayer is a vital link between us and God. If we attempt to live with little or no prayer in our lives, we may find our grace, our strength, and even peace diminish. We need the mind of Christ. I want to encourage you. So we, we cannot re- rely merely on spontaneous prayer, like when we pray for our food. Right? Thank you, Lord, for this food. Amen. Not just that kind of spontaneous prayer. What I'm talking about, that, that you must set aside time for prolonged and deeper communion with God. It may not be early in the morning, but that's good. That, that's, that's, for me, that's, that's, my, that's my preference to get up early in the morning, right? But that may be different for you. So find a, a time where, could you, where you could have a prolonged prayer and time in communion with God. Like Jesus, we must break away from others to talk with God, even if we have to get up very early morning uh, to do it. How, how would you have responded if you had been the one to find Jesus in prayer? I mean, it's easy to be so caught up with ministry that we neglect times of solitude, individual worship, and prayer. Perhaps you need to redesign your schedule to find time for earnest prayer. Seek the Lord before your busy schedule uh, takes over your thoughts. Withdraw from noise and demand so you can focus on God. Take Jesus' attitude of regular communion with the Father. Reflect on the priorities of, of, of Jesus had for His life. Determine to pray on a more regular basis, not just in times of crisis, by the time the disciples found Jesus, he was ready to face the next challenge. Listen, in verse 36 and 37, tells us that Peter and those with him sent out a search party. Apparently the crowds had returned for more miracles. Notice that they're looking for Jesus because of what he can do, not because of who he is. Another large crowd pressed at the front gate, hoping for an audience with a miracle-working rabbi from Nazareth. So the disciples searched for Jesus and eventually found him. They announced, everyone, listen, everyone is looking for you. In other words, what are you, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be out there where people are. What are you doing praying here? Right? I mean, just, just imagine this. I mean, you need to be with the crowds. We are building a following. Things are, are beginning to happen. You, you do not have time to be alone and, and pray. 
See, this Peter and the disciples have no clue. Oh, how we are so much like Peter, not understanding the ways of God and how his kingdom will come. They probably expected Jesus to say, well, then let's, let's hurry back so I can capitalize on my sudden popularity. You see, they, they love the fact that everyone is looking for, for Jesus. They, they want to have more evenings like the one they just had. They want to keep this thing going, this fame, this popularity that Christ is, is having now. But the problem is that popularity is, is short-lived. One minute, you might be popular, but in the next, you might not be. All, all you need to do is look on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, or Twitter. See that that's, that's very true. But you know what? But popularity is intoxicating. It, it's tiring. I know because I'm popular. No, I'm just kidding. No. What, what, once, once you have it, you want more of it. Well, I don't know. I can't relate to that. But that's what you see, on, on especially when I watch uh, people on YouTube and, and you hear that, right, they have to keep this thing going to keep growing their... So they, get, so they get paid. So the more viewers, the more subscribers, the more they make money. And see, and many of us will, will spend the majority of our lives trying to attain or maintain popularity. It, it's why many of us are constantly checking, checking our phones. Seeing if people are, are trying to get a hold of us. Seeing who, who, who like my last uh, Facebook post or my Instagram post. It's tiring to have a group of people thinking highly of you. It's actually what drives us to do most of the things we do. In our text, Jesus, would, Jesus is popular, but it's not what drives him to do what he does. If that were the case, Jesus would be pandering to the masses, but he's not. Jesus does not want fans who want to be close enough to Jesus that they get all the benefits of Christ without actually following him. No, Jesus, listen, listen, Jesus wants followers who are actually going to do what he tells them to do. He... he Jesus Christ brushed off their excited observation and instead refocused their attention on His mission, the priority of His mission. The, the pressing physical needs of humanity were, were not irrelevant to, to the Lord, but neither did they dictate His agenda. He, he, performs, he performed miracles to authenticate His message and to set His message apart from others. But Jesus does not seem to care, but because what his response is in verse 38, says in verse 38 and 39, the kingdom advances through the preaching. The crowds at Peter's house came for the miracles. The disciples were attempting to use Jesus to gain popularity. And, and Jesus is confronting their sinful desire by pointing them to the reason why he came. And that is to proclaim the gospel of God. And we see that in the early chapter of Mark. 
You see, now, apparently, this disciple they, and these people want more. But the call to repent, the call to believe the gospel was not on their spiritual radar. You see, Jesus did not come to be popular. It's why he doesn't just stay in one spot. Jesus came to preach the good news that salvation has come. And it says that he went through all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. That was the mission of Jesus. You see, as, as, a, as followers of Jesus, that's our mission as well. We are followers of Jesus, not followers of popular opinion. And what this means is that regardless of whether every seat in, in this building is filled on a Sunday afternoon, or, or there's only a handful of us, the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be preached and not teaching that will entertain people's ears. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility as a pastor, as a preacher of this church, is to be faithful in preaching the good news of Christ. It's preaching the gospel to proclaim that. That is Christ's mission and that is my mission on earth. Whether it be here at Resolve Bible Church or anywhere else, either, even at where I work, even where I go, even where I hang out with friends, I have a responsibility to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, the moment we begin to compromise on the gospel is the moment when we choose popularity over Jesus. Sooner or later, the hype will begin to fade and we will become exhausted. And because we're spending ourselves over something that is fleeting. Like so many today, they, they wanted a Jesus of their liking. A, a Jesus who would perform miracles and fit into their agenda and to fit in their, in their plans. You see, neither the crowds nor the disciples understand why he has come into the world, but he knew. Jesus came to preach. Jesus came to herald, to proclaim the gospel of salvation, a message that is by him and about him. Indeed, he is the gospel. This is how the kingdom advanced in the first century how it has advanced throughout history and, and how it will advance even today. This point us to the mission of Jesus. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Listen to what Jesus said. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's not talking about the good life of a spouse and, and kids and a dog and a well-paying job and a, house, a nice house and a car or two, a three-car garage, a good health, rings on your fingers and clothes on your back, go on a nice vacation. He's not talking about that. He's talking about abundant life in Jesus Christ. See, you and I live in a sin-sick world. 
where we naturally live in rebellion against God and His law. But Jesus came to give us a new heart and a right spirit that sets us free from our bondage to sin and death. So that if we confess, that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Not that everything is going to go well for us when we put our trust in Jesus, but that He is the strength for the weak, hope for the hopeless, peace for the anxious, and certainty for the doubting. The same gracious hand which first touched and healed our broken hearts will strengthen and uphold us. See, though sometimes... We are cast down. We will not be cast away. Why? Because of the surpassing authority of Jesus Christ. I want to challenge with you as we conclude our message. What Jesus is after is not a fan, but a follower, a faithful follower, a disciple, a committed follower of Christ. That's what he's after. Jesus does not want individuals who are going to be on the fence, who will love Him in, good, in the good times, but will abandon Jesus Christ in the bad times. No, Jesus wants, wants us to either be all in or all out. And, and, and if you and I are going to be all in, then it's going to require commitment and faithfulness in your part. And in my part. See, I, I'm not talking about Sunday afternoon church attendance. Jesus is not after your church attendance. He's not after your attendance in the prayer meetings, your, how faithful you are in the Bible study, or your personal devotion, or even going to Christian camps, or how many conferences you attend. He's not after that. He's not talking about that. Are we looking into the mirror of the Word of God and doing what it says? Are we simply hearing God's Word? Are we hearing and doing and living out and obeying God's Word? Are we daily confessing our sins to God? Are we humbly submitting to King Jesus, going and doing what He would have us to go and, and do? You see, church, the gospel is not some kind of commodity that, that can be sold, where people can have their Jesus on the side while they continue to live how they want. That's not the Christian life. That's being a fan of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus. Jesus is after so much than that. He is after your heart. He's after your commitment. He's after your uh, faithfulness. And it's not like Jesus expects followers to be, to be perfect. It, it, it's not like there is this expectation that we will get this right every single time. Being a follower simply means that we understand we are sinners saved by grace. It, it means that we understand our need for Jesus every single day of our lives. And the question is, are you a fan of, of Jesus or are you a follower 
of Jesus. How you answer that question will determine whether or not you take Jesus seriously enough to do what He tells you to do. I pray that you would walk as authentic, as real follower of Jesus Christ. Not a fan, not a fake follower, but a faithful and obedient follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, dear Lord, that you would challenge us, that we will be committed and faithful, living for you, God, not, not as a fan, Lord, but as a faithful follower of your Son, Jesus Christ. So help us by your Spirit. And we thank you for your truth. May we live out this truth as, we, as you enable us to go to be in different places this, this coming week. Whether it be in our homes, our school, our work, wherever we find ourselves, Father, may we be a faithful follower of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you for this day. And be with us now in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord. And now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. To him be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Resolved in the Truth, a ministry of Resolved Bible Church located in Norco, California. More information about Resolved Bible Church is available at www.resolvebc.com.